Amen. Now, I don't know if you have ever done some research on communication, how people communicate, how people understand communication, but there have been studies that have proven that 70 to 93% of communication is nonverbal. Nonverbal. So that means that text messages and emails are missing, are only 30% to 7% of real communication. Right? And we do that a lot, text messaging, Facebook messaging, emails, and, and what can end up happening, imagine really quickly with me, without nonverbal cues, someone texts you or emails you, hey, we really need to meet. Now, you could read that as, we really need to meet. Or you could read it as, we really need to meet. Right Now imagine you can't understand inflection, you can't see their face, you can see like they can be angry. Then all of a sudden, if you're like me, you have to ponder the question, okay, why do we need to meet? <laughs> and you go back through your entire time with this person in the last two or three months and you say, what did I do? What did I say? And then all of a sudden you might come up with things like, oh man, maybe they, maybe they thought that I meant this and so I automatically have to be ready with my apology, right? I don't know if anyone's like me on that, right? But that is definitely some way that you can read email. It's, you're only getting 30 to 7% of communication. And so when you get a text message like that or you get an email like that or you see a Facebook post and you automatically assume how they feel about something, there's this important thing called clarifying questions. Right? Say it with me. Clarifying questions. Right? They're very important. So I can sit there and, and have this internal dialogue with myself and say, why do I need to meet with this person? What, what did I do? What happened in the last couple of weeks? Or I can just say, hey, I'm just wondering. I would love to meet with you, but what's the reason? You know, you can just give me a teaser so I know what to think about. Because usually as a pastor, there might be some deep theological question that someone wants to ask me, and I need to make sure that I'm prepared to answer that question, right? So I need to ask that question, and maybe you're like me. Maybe you just are not, and you don't do the clarifying question, and then you come to this meeting with this person with knots in your stomach, and all of a sudden you have no idea what's going to happen, and they say, I really just appreciate you. And you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. Right, but see, the, the important is the important thing to understand is that seventy to ninety-three percent of communication is non-verbal. Now, you and I, we might read the scriptures and we might hear from the Holy Spirit, and we might say, "Okay, I, I need to understand that better." But often, we're not reminding ourselves or remembering that the Holy Spirit even speaks. It's important for us to remember that the Holy Spirit is still speaking to believers today. Right, So if that's true and our relationship with God is a, is a relationship where we don't just talk at him but we listen to him, sometimes we need to ask those clarifying questions. We need to look and say, okay, Holy Spirit, I feel like you're saying this, but what's really going on? What, what is it that you're trying to get me to think or do or say or go? We need to be able to discern the Holy Spirit's direction. Too often believers forget that the Holy Spirit's speaking, but there's also this other aspect that when he speaks, too often we interpret and misinterpret what he's trying to say because of our circumstances or because of our emotions or because of our agendas. But you and I, we need to make sure that we're hearing properly, that we are discerning 
the Spirit's direction correctly? So that's the question. As it was last week, how can we discern the Spirit's direction? How can we discern the Spirit's direction? And I believe these passages that we read this morning will help us in this process. So we're going to look at Acts 19, 21, Acts 20, 22 through 23. We're also going to be looking at Acts 21, 1 through 15, and then 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. This is like what I like to call biblical calisthenics, where we're just moving all around. But it's important to capture because it's all the same thing. All right, Acts 19, 21. If you have your scripture, please turn there, or you can read on the screen. If you're online, you can read on your screen as well. Acts 19, 21. Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Acts 20, 22 through 23. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And now we look at Acts 21, 1 through 15. And when he had parted from them and set sail... We came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day Rhodes, and from there Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in Ptolemais. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with them. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Finally, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21. Paul writes, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Now, all of these come together to help us answer the question, how do we discern the Spirit's direction? 
You saw in that First Thessalonians passage that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially prophecy, as we see in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 as well, is vital to the life of the church, where words of knowledge come to believers to either deliver a word to one another or come to a person to follow the direction of the Holy Spirit. This is how he speaks. It is a word of knowledge that comes to us to know the direction with which we are to go. The CMA and I fully believe that this is true. And so if this reality is true, that the Holy Spirit's gifts are today, and prophecy, words of knowledge, direction that the Holy Spirit gives to guide and empower a believer, these passages are not just informative, they are instructive on how we are to go about hearing the voice of the Lord and following the direction that he gives. I believe Paul, Agabus, and the others in these passages help us learn how to discern the Spirit's direction. And the main thing that we learn in this particular passage is that discernment is deciphering the Spirit's direction despite our emotions, agenda, or circumstance. Discernment is deciphering the Spirit's direction despite our emotions, agenda, or circumstances. Paul was certain of his call. Paul knew that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem. There was nothing stopping him from setting his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. He knew that's where he was supposed to go. But you see in this passage, some of the folks in Tyre and Agabus himself, there seems to be some type of contradiction with where Paul is supposed to go and what Paul is supposed to do. And so Paul has to discern what really is from the Lord. These folks that are urging him not to go have to discern what is the direction of the Holy Spirit. Agabus, a prophet who we saw earlier give a word of knowledge that actually came true, he needs to discern what is it that the direction of the Holy Spirit is actually going about. Now, you have to understand the passion of this particular passage The Greek indicates that they were pleading through tears for Paul not to go to Jerusalem. This wasn't just this word urging. It wasn't just a, hey, Paul, we don't think you should go. I mean, there were tears. They were literally hanging on his legs and his arms saying, don't go. We know that the Spirit of God is saying that you will be in pain, in prison, and you will probably die as you go towards Jerusalem. Don't go. Don't go. But Paul knows he's supposed to go. You see, the the emotions of these people, his friends who desperately love him, their emotions clouded the interpretation of what the Lord was saying and what the Lord's direction really was. Now you might say, okay, so they they misinterpreted it, but why does the scripture say in verse 4, their knowledge came through the Holy Spirit? Well, it does state through the Holy Spirit, but the Greek word for through in this particular portion is dia, and it generally means as a consequence of. As a consequence of. So, Paul heard the message, and he was telling everyone who he was with, from all those ship times and all those beach prayer meetings, he was telling them, I need to go to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit said it's not going to be good. And these folks in Tyre and Agabus, they also heard from the Holy Spirit that he's, if he goes to Jerusalem, bad things will happen. But he said, I'm going to go. Did, there, did the Holy Spirit bring about contradiction? 
when you look at this passage, if it says through the Holy Spirit, doesn't that mean that the Holy Spirit was telling the folks in Tyre and Agabus that he shouldn't go? Because it said through the Holy Spirit, they said don't go. No. Because what they heard was that Paul is is going to Jerusalem, and if he does, he will have pain. So they interpret that by saying, okay, God does not want him to have pain. There's this premonition, this word, that something bad is going to happen. And so we have to try and get Paul not to go. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. God is preparing me. He's saying go, but he's saying you need to be prepared for what is to come. So there's no contradiction. In our English language, we can't fully grasp the the Greek language. But here it's saying as a consequence of. Because they heard the message... As a consequence, they were begging him not to go. They heard what was going on, but they were begging him not to go. The Spirit had spoken to them, but they had interpreted it wrong. Stott, a wonderful commentator, says this. Luke's statement is a condensed way of saying that the warning was divine while the urging was human. After all, the Spirit's word to Paul combined the compulsion to go with a warning of the consequences. Now let me stop here for a second and talk about prophetic words because the Holy Spirit of God speaks today. We've talked about that. We said that we can hear the voice of the Lord. We've talked about this several times in our church from the scriptures, especially in this series from the book of Acts. And so when the Holy Spirit gives us a word of knowledge, it is a prophetic word to our hearts to know where we're to go. Right, And there are two things of prophecy that we need to understand. There's forthtelling, where the Holy Spirit of God tells us the truth of Scripture, and it goes deep into our heart, and we know it, and we believe it. There's also foretelling. God will sometimes tell us where we're to go, and how we're to go, and why we're to go. And in this instance, there was this foretelling of what was going to happen when he went. So we have to be prepared as believers, if this is true, that we have to interpret correctly. When it comes to prophetic words that the Holy Spirit gives to us for ourselves, there are two things that that happen. We need to hear what God is saying and then properly interpret what God is saying. Now, if God gives you a word for someone else, then you have to properly deliver the word that God has given you. And we're going to unpack what some of that looks like because it's important for us to understand how to hear properly, how to interpret properly. So proper hearing and proper interpretation do produce powerful prophetic discernment. They have to go together. Proper hearing and proper interpretation. Some of you may say, okay, well, I've heard something from the Lord. What do I do with that? How do I interpret what God is saying? So when you have a calling to say, I want to go, God is pressuring my heart to do this ministry. God is putting it upon my heart. I just know that I'm supposed to go this way. Well, there are two things that we are called to do in Scripture in order to discern the direction of the Holy Spirit. The first is to pray. That we, we have this sense that God is speaking to us. We can't just say, oh, no, 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 that's not God. No, that's not God. No, God doesn't want me to go there. We need to stop and pray and say, okay, what is this really from you or is this from me? Is this just my mind hearing what it wants to hear or hearing what it doesn't want to hear? Or is this actually you? And many times this should be combined with, as we saw in Acts 13, fasting and worship. Where we're spending time in the presence of God saying, what is from you? Is this me or is this you? And we test it through prayer. We ask the Lord through prayer. 
And then we test it in two different ways. Proper interpretation comes when we test the Spirit's word. We see we're not to quench the Holy Spirit, but we're supposed to allow prophecies to happen in our hearts and our lives, words that God gives to us. One of the best ways we test it, we pray and then we test. One of the best ways to test is to go to the scriptures. The first thing you do, if you feel like you're hearing from the Lord, is to go to scripture. Does what I'm hearing from the Lord go against scripture? I've heard a couple times in my life as a pastor's kid and as a pastor, hey, you know what? The Lord is telling me to divorce my spouse. No, he ain't. Because that ain't in the Bible. He actually says don't. Right? The Lord is telling me that I need to abandon this thing and my family and do something different. No, he's not telling you that. He's not telling you that because it goes against Scripture. So we need to say, okay, this thing that I'm hearing, does it go against Scripture? You might have this sense that I need to call someone and I really feel like they need me to call and check in on them. That's the Holy Spirit. Is that against Bible? the Bible to check on someone? No. So go for it. Test it out. Call them. Say, hey, are you doing okay? That's the second thing that we do is we test it with other believers. If God has something that he has impressed upon our hearts that we feel is directly from the Holy Spirit. Now, it might not be an audible voice. We can sometimes hear in our knower. There's this, what, what Dr. Reamer calls our knower, where we just have this sense of, I know that this is God telling me and directing me and guiding me. But we still need to test it. Because Paul in 1 Thessalonians says to test it. Don't just blanket assume that you're absolutely correct. Test it. Ask other believers. I shared last week about the Spirit's direction for Hillary and I three years ago to come and be here at Indiana. I called all of my Christian mentors who I know hear the voice of the Lord. And you know what each and every one of them said? They said, that sounds like God. Each one. And so I was like, okay, I think we're going to go. And we did, and the Lord has blessed it every second, and we love being here at Indiana Alliance Church. God was in it. So we test it. We properly test it. We have to go to prayer, ask the Lord, look at scriptures, and then ask other believers, is this from God or not? What do you think? What are you sensing? And they'll, many times, hopefully, their reply is, let me pray about it, and I'll get back to you. Because the Lord speaks today. Now, we see in 1921 that he was, he, in, he was resolved in his spirit. We'll get back to Paul now. <laughs> he was resolved in his spirit to go to Jerusalem. He had this sense within him that he knew that he was supposed to go. So in that 1921, he's saying, I'm going. This is where I'm going to go. And Paul was a stubborn dude. If he had his idea on something, he was going to go after it with all he has, unless the Holy Spirit knocked him off his high horse, which he did before. We then see in Acts 20, 22 through 23, he's sharing what he's hearing. He knows that the Holy Spirit is leading him to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit is saying bad things will happen. He was certain. He tested with the word. He talked with other people that were with him. Yeah, we know that God is saying that if you go to Jerusalem, you'll be hurt. You'll be wounded. They, because of their emotions, were like, mm, you're not supposed to go. That's what God is saying. You're not supposed to go. But if you look at even Agabus's prophecy, he, he says the Holy Spirit said this is what's going to happen. That's all he said the Holy Spirit said. He didn't say, the Holy Spirit's saying, don't go. 
but he interpreted what the Holy Spirit was saying and put his own emotions into it. And when we are listening to the Holy Spirit, we need to set aside our agendas, not look at our circumstances, and not allow our emotions to dictate where we go. We have to be listening to his voice and resolved in our spirit to do it. His friends, out of concern for him, felt that the word for Paul was to stay away. Sometimes, and I've shared this before, I think sometimes we as believers have a really fluffy view of God's call. We have a really fluffy view of if God's talking to me, it's going to be rainbows and unicorns and happy smiles all day long. But the Spirit will often direct us to difficult tasks where suffering may occur. Listen to what Ogilvy says. I think it's a perfect, perfect description. He said, sometimes there's a kind of sloppy sentimentalism about the Spirit's guidance. We can't imagine that trials and difficulties could ever be the Lord's will for people we love. Success, ease, and peace without conflict have become the false signs of the Spirit's blessing. False signs of the Spirit's blessing where everything seems to have to be fluffy. Everything has to look like it's going to be all right and good, and there's going to be no suffering and no conflict. That's not how God always works. Will there sometimes be moments of peace and ease without conflict? Absolutely. But just because we see that there's going to be pain in the future, we can't say that's not God. Look at all of Jesus' prophecies about the end, end times. Matthew 24 and 25, he's like, hey, you know what? Disciples, believers, before the end comes, it's going to get bumpy. It's going to be really hard. No disciple and none of us in this room would say, Jesus isn't telling the truth. Would you? No. So suffering is promised in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, to believers. And so we can't have this fluffy view of saying, well, if the Holy Spirit is leading me this way, it looks like it's not going to be very fun, so I'm going to find a way to, to get out of that. Because that doesn't look like fun. That can't be God. But sometimes the Spirit will often direct us to difficult tasks where suffering may occur. Suffering may occur. Which comes to another point. It is vital to pause, pray, and test to properly discern the Spirit's direction. I, I make that point again because I want us to really grasp the importance of pausing, praying, and testing the Spirit's direction. Because even if suffering's involved, if that's the Spirit's direction, we've got to go. We've got to follow through. Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, we've been walking through this on Wednesday nights. He, he makes some really hard, difficult statements that you and I are to live out. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who walk in humility, who choose others more than themselves. When we do that, there will be suffering. Because when we choose someone else's good over our own good, that's not always going to be fun. Like, really? I have to do that to, to bless that person? I'm not doing it because I have my own stuff that I want to do. But there, is these, there are these things that the Holy Spirit leads and guides us to when it comes to our future life, 
when it comes to his direction in our lives. And we need to pause, pray, and test. How often are we pausing and praying? How often are we actually anticipating or expecting the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us? Or how often do we just lead and move in our own agenda? Paul was about God's agenda. Paul was about going after what God was calling him to, even if it was going to be painful, knowing it was going to be painful. I shared with you last week about high schoolers who were going to colleges who had never asked God's direction on what college they were supposed to go to. That story is not unique. That's a, a story that believers walk in all the time. Well, there's a promotion. Obviously, there's an open door. I need to take that position. Did you pause and pray and ask, is that the Lord's open door, or is that your own desire for an open door? These are questions that we have to step back and say, are you leading and guiding? Now, some people kind of take it a little bit ridiculously, and they're like, okay, I'm going to go up to a soda machine, and Holy Spirit, which pop am I supposed to have? It gets a little bit ridiculous. That's not what I'm talking about. Talking about the Spirit's direction in our lives. Going after what we're called to do and living in what the purpose of our life is to be. Because one of the beautiful things about Christ bringing us to salvation is that he says, I have a purpose for your life. You and I do not wander purposeless in life. That belief that we have no purpose in life actually comes from evolution. Where it says it was just an accident, there's no purpose for it, whoops, it happened. When we don't believe and we don't live in the idea that God has a purpose for us, we're saying, I'm a whoops, I'm an accident, God, he did it wrong. But we live that way sometimes. You and I have purpose. God has direction for our lives. Are we pausing and praying? And when we feel like we have a word from the Lord, are we testing it properly? Are we going to the scriptures? Are we going to believers that we know have a track record of hearing the word of the Lord in their life and testing it with them? Because we're not to push prophecies away. We're not to quench the Holy Spirit, but we are to test what it is the Lord is saying. When the discerning of the Spirit's direction comes, we are moving ourselves out of the way. The next thing that we see from Paul himself is that if we are to discern the Spirit's direction, we must also resolve deep down to follow the Spirit's direction no matter what. Follow the Spirit's direction no matter what. Paul was getting words from God constantly. In every city he went, God was reminding him There is pain in Jerusalem. There is pain in Jerusalem. And he knew, I I think Paul knew deep down that in Jerusalem was going to be the beginning of his walk to death. He was certain of it. And I think that as he explained that to the churches that he had planted, the people that loved him, they allowed their emotions to cloud the interpretation. But Paul did not. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard the expression ugly cry, right? Have you, anybody heard that? Like when somebody has an ugly cry, it's like snot dripping down their face and tears and their, their whole face is red. This is what was happening with everybody in the church. Imagine that. 
If we were all just snot crying so bad right now, begging Paul not to go. That's the experience that Paul had in that moment. They were emotionally wrecked. They were broken, saying, no, you're going to die. It's going to be bad. We love you. You can't go. You can't go. And Paul responded, I have to go. I have to go. Williams helps us clarify this idea of what Paul was talking about when he said, I have to go. You're breaking my heart. What does that mean, breaking my heart? Their grief was a grief to him. Though we should probably take the expression breaking my heart to mean rather breaking my spirit. That is weakening my resolve. For he was determined to go to Jerusalem. So as this is happening in this scenario, he's feeling the weight of their emotions. And they're breaking his spirit. He feels his resolve slipping away. And so he stops them and says, listen, stop crying for me. God is calling me to Jerusalem. I will not allow you and your emotions to hinder my resolve to go forward. I love you. I care about you. But I have to go. You're breaking my spirit. And he says, not only am I willing to be imprisoned for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm willing to die. I'm willing to die. Now, what's really crazy about this story is you can read the book of Acts was written by Dr. Luke. And he says, we were begging him. We were urging him. His best friend that was with him, Dr. Luke, was begging him. And he's like, stop it. I have to go. I have to go to Jerusalem. He was resolving himself to go after what God had called him to go after. He did not allow anyone around him. Once he knew what God was calling him to do, he did not allow anyone in his way because he knew he had to obey the voice of the Lord. He knew he had to obey. Paul in 20, 22 through 23 declares he is constrained by the Spirit and the Greek word there is deo, and it means to be bound. He made a promise in that moment in Acts 20 when he felt the Spirit of God calling him to go to Jerusalem. When he said, I was resolved in the Spirit in, verse, in chapter 19, he knew I'm bound to this promise. God has called me, and I have to go. You've got to stop breaking my heart or trying to take my resolve away because I am bound to do this. This is an act of not just saying yes, but it's an act of complete obedience. And if I do not obey, I'm sinning. I cannot go and not sin. I have to go. There's something here for us to consider. If this is not just informative but instructive, we need to realize that dismissing the Spirit's direction is walking in sin. Dismissing the Spirit's direction is walking in sin. If the Spirit of God is calling you to something specific and it has been tested and approved, yes, this is where God is saying I'm to go. If we don't, we're in disobedience. And we would define sin as disobedience to the Lord. We look at Jonah, right? For example, God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, no. He's like, I'm going to go somewhere else, the opposite direction. 
God found a way to get him up there, and he preached the worst sermon ever, and thousands came to Christ, right? Came to the Lord. It was really funny. He just said like three lines, and people were just like weeping. And he's like, God, I'm so mad at you for doing that. His whole heart, his whole attitude was one of disobedience. He was in sin when he ran away. We would agree with that, right? So when the Holy Spirit calls us specifically to something, and we dismiss the direction of the Holy Spirit, we sin. And that's why it's important that as believers, we ask the Lord for His direction. Because we really like to take control. We really like to say, it's my life, I'm in charge, I do what I want. I'm free to go and do as I please. But I'll go to church on Sunday and sing a song or two and listen to a sermon and then go about and do my own agenda. The Lord has a purpose for us. The Lord has a call upon each and every one of our lives. We need to walk in that and ask, Lord, what is it that you want me to do with my life? I don't want to wander around purposeless. I want to wander in the purpose that you have. I want to move in power and I want to move in obedience. That's what we need to do as the body of believers. And I believe that if Christians are on their knees, pausing and praying and listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and they're walking in obedience to what He calls them to do, this world will change. But too often we're lazy. We don't listen. We don't ask. And we don't obey. We don't walk where He tells us to walk and go where He asks us to go. And then we ask the question, why, why aren't more people coming to Christ? Because we're not walking in obedience. God desires to use each and every one of us as vessels to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Which brings me back to the final point. In order to discern the Spirit's direction, we need to decide to walk in obedience when we or when you properly discern the Spirit's direction. Walk in obedience. Go where he tells you to go. We're going to sing a song that we've sung a couple times called Here I Am, and it's an alliance song. Uh, Some folks from the Christian Missionary Alliance developed a worship album. It is really anointed and powerful. And in this song, it says, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll stay if you want me to stay. Those lyrics are powerful. And as you sing that song, ask the Spirit of God to make you really believe it. Because sometimes we can sing songs and we just sing them, right? All I have is yours, Lord. And then we go home and everything we have is ours, right? We need to really believe what we're singing. Decide to walk in obedience when you properly discern the Spirit's direction. Paul properly discerned the Spirit's direction. He knew where he was supposed to go. He was passionate about his call. He was resolved to walk in obedience And he did. May we be a people who pause, pray, and test with ears open to the Spirit's direction and hearts set on obedience. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. I thank you that you have created each and every one of us with a purpose. That we have a call upon our lives. That there is a a place and a person, and a group of people maybe that we are supposed to go and speak to with the truth of the gospel. 
We have a purpose in our lives to be on mission for you, to go into our communities and live and speak the gospel. I pray that we will have ears that are ready to listen to your direction, to your guidance, to your leadership, and that we'll resolve deep within our hearts to walk in that obedience, that our ears will be open, that we'll pause and pray to hear your voice, to ensure that where we're going is the right way, that we'll test it properly, and that we will have hearts set on obedience. In your name, amen.